All right, Joshua chapter 2 tonight, very famous chapter in the Bible, very uh, well-known story that we're going to look at. But before we start going through chapter 2, I want you to turn back to Numbers 13, because remember last week we're seeing how we're entering a new era after their judgment of 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, God is finally now going to allow them to go into the promised land and then, uh, but let's, before we uh, look at this story where two spies go in to spy out the land, let's just do a little reminder of what happened 40 years earlier when they went in the land. Because we're also going to look at a very uh, clear picture of salvation in this chapter that I think is just undeniable. And it's just one of the amazing things about the Bible that just puts it above every book in this world. But notice in uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 25, It says, and they returned from searching out the land after 40 days. And they went in and came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we came into the land whether thou sentest us and surely it floweth floweth with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it. Now right there is their first clue that this is exactly what God said it was going to be. I mean, that's a pretty good sign right there. If God's telling you, I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt, I'm going to send you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey, and then you go over there and you check it out, and you're like, yeah, this is exactly what God said. Wouldn't you kind of think God's probably going to do what He said He's going to do about this too? Especially after all that was done. But even though all evidence pointed to the fact that you know God knew what He was talking about, they did not have the right attitude. And it says, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. Now, why didn't God bring that up? Why didn't God tell us about this? Probably because God wasn't worried about it. I don't think God was worried about the giants. It says, And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. Notice Caleb believed God, didn't he? Caleb trusted God's word. Okay, now don't. Uh, here's what I don't want you to do tonight when I'm going through this. I don't want you to take these events as like what got these people saved. But I do want you to look at it as a picture of salvation. And I believe Caleb was probably already a believer, was already saved. But at the same time, Believing God and going into the promised land, I do believe it was a picture of salvation here. And we see that Caleb believed God. Unlike these other spies, we know Caleb and Joshua believed God. So just kind of make a note of that in your mind. And it says, uh, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And folks, that verse right there is one the Nephilim people like to use to prove that the giants were like 300 feet tall. No, this was a faithless people that uh, were just panicking and wanting to spread their fear. That's what everybody does when they're panicking. 
They want to spread their fear because you know why they're saying this too? Because they had Caleb who's contradicting what they're saying. Caleb said, we can take these people. No, man, we're like grasshoppers of these people. They're going to squash us like a bug. And you know, it's just an exaggeration, but people just take that. And that's an example too. When I talk about magic verses, the Bible is not a magical book to where you can go and take things out of context and change reality with it. So please don't do that. This proves nothing. But I'm saying this too for all the people who watch me online that get mad about the Nephilim stuff. They're going to read that. I was like, why do you ignore that? Why do you ignore that passage? Because it's that's a dumb teaching. Okay. But anyway, now notice in chapter 14, this is still the same story, and it says, and the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses. And against Aaron and the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt or would God we had died in this wilderness. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Now, you all know the rest of the story. This made God very angry. Every one of these people, they died in the wilderness. They were not allowed to go into the promised land, only with the exception of two guys who happened to believe God. Two guys, Caleb and Joshua, who trusted God and said, we believe we can take these people. You know why they believe that? Because God said they could. And I have no doubt in my mind, Caleb's confidence in their ability to defeat them was not because Caleb was just really cocky and knew, you know, thought that their fighting was really good. No, I think Caleb, he's thinking, God brought us out of Egypt. God opened the Red Sea. God destroyed Pharaoh's army. This land is exactly what God said it was going to be. Why would we not? Why would we lose in this situation? I think Caleb just had faith. This was simply faith. That's all there was to it. So. This uh, this story in Numbers it is it's a horrible story, and it's one that you know it's a it's a good reminder to all of us to not be a faithless people to not go doubting God. That is a very great sin. But what I want to do now that we're in chapter two because they're getting another chance. This time they send two spies in there, you know. And I'm thinking maybe you know we'll have the two good ones this time, even though these are different guys. We're going to send two in there. Uh, and let's see if we can't get this right. But when we, we go through this chapter, and you all know the story, and this is a, a fantastic story, but I just want to show you how the gospel, I believe, is just all over this chapter. And in, in my opinion, whoever wrote the book of Joshua, I do not believe they could have known uh, the message that was contained in this chapter while they were writing it. I, I, I don't, that, you know, that's my opinion. But I do. But the, here's the thing: there's no doubt that the Holy Spirit moved them to write what they wrote, because when they recorded this story, God knew exactly why He wanted them recording the story. God had a message in there that He wanted us to be able to look back on. A message that's in there too that He wanted the Jews, hopefully, who had been studying these stories, whenever Jesus Christ came and the gospel was preached to them, that they would say, "You know what? This is kind of familiar." This actually reminds me of what we've been reading our whole life in the Old Testament. But unfortunately, they didn't believe the Old Testament. And that's why they didn't believe Jesus. But first thing, verse 1, notice this. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, 
Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So notice how the main character that's mentioned in this story by name is a harlot. Okay. Now, think about this. Harlots have never been respected during any time and any place. They've never been uh, respectable members of society. Anyone who has ever used a harlot has done just that. They have used that individual. People who use them do not love them. They do not care about them. They use them for their own pleasure. These have never been respected members of society. But, and, and you say, well, that's kind of mean. You shouldn't say things like that. I read some guys the other day that were criticizing King James only and talking about how we need to update the language. They were saying one of the reasons we need to update the language, you know, we've got words in the King James Bible that, you know, people just don't understand correctly right now. They're just like bad words. And they mention word like, words like whore because that's just used as like an insult. Well, it's supposed to be an insult. I mean, I'm not saying go around calling, you know, women whores and things. But, you know, when you call somebody that, that is an insult. You know why? Because nobody respects them. And, and so it's like, you know, we need to change it to prostitute. Well, nobody respects them either. I mean, you know, either way, you know, they were talking about, I think, you know, I think they mentioned words like bastard too, you know, because that's just kind of a, you know, a, uses a cuss word as a, as a derogatory term. And it's like, well, you know, it's a derogatory thing, you know, and we got to, we got to get rid of these offensive words and, you know, we got to update them. And, you know, that's another subject for another day. But I just, I heard that and I thought, what is wrong with you people? These are not supposed to be positive things. It is not a good thing if someone is a whore, if someone is a harlot. They've never been respected. You say, oh, what about Jesus? He even ate with the publicans and harlots. See, you don't even respect them because you're saying, look how loving Jesus was. He even loved the harlots. And isn't that exactly what they were doing? Isn't that exactly why we use that? To show just how loving Jesus is that he even loves someone like that. So folks, why would we change that to a term that's less offensive? It's not supposed to be a positive word. It's a bad thing. Okay, Jesus himself used that word that way. In Matthew 21, 31, he says, Wherefore of them of the twain did the will of their father? They say unto him, the first, Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, why did Jesus mention them? Because they were the worst. They were the ones that nobody respected. The ones that everybody looked down on. And so Jesus, to just illustrate just how bad these people actually were, he said the harlots are going to go in before you are. So again, you know, it's like a, it, you know, there's some things you don't want to get compared to. Okay? And a harlot is one of those. So let's keep that in mind. Okay? And in fact, the first mention, the very first mention of the word harlot in the Bible is in Genesis 34.1. Um, after um, Dinah, Jacob's daughter, was defiled, Jacob's son said, and they said, should he deal with our sister as with a harlot? That's how you treat a harlot. That's how you treat somebody that you don't care about somebody that you have no value with, that's what you do with a harlot. So if we establish the fact that a harlot is a very bad thing, something that is very disrespected, yet, okay, this is what I believe God intentionally used 
to show a picture of salvation. You know why? Because we all need to understand we are dirty, rotten sinners that are completely 100% unworthy of salvation. We are 100% dependent on the righteousness of Christ. So it makes sense that God would use a harlot for a story like this. This is really a very beautiful story of the grace of God. The way God is using a harlot. I do not believe that that was a coincidence. And the reason it is so easy for harlots to get saved is because they have no problem recognizing they're a sinner. Because everyone agrees that they're a sinner. It's the Pharisees, it's the religious people. You know, they're the ones that have a tough time realizing that they're a sinner. But harlots don't have any trouble with that. That's why they get it easy. And, you know, believing on Christ will save you. But here's what we need to understand. There are some specifics you must believe. A lot of people, they try to simplify the gospel so much. It's just like, well, if you just believe. Okay, but believe what? You know, you do have to believe in Jesus Christ. It's got to be the right Jesus. You know, and there are some other specifics that are in there. Okay, believing on Christ, it is more than just, I believe he existed because Catholics believe he existed. It's even more than just believing in the death, burial, and resurrection because Catholics believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. But you know what they're not doing? They're not trusting in that to get them to heaven. They're trusting in that and their own goodness. So we're going to see some, I'll probably go through a few examples too of just things that, you know, people who are, that like to oversimplify things when it comes to the gospel uh, and some of the just mistakes they make as a result of that. And I think that this story uh, disproves a lot of that stuff. But believe, So you do have to, one of the things you do have to do in order to get saved is you must recognize the truth about your sin. You must recognize that you deserve to go to hell. You've got to, uh, I, I don't think people need to know that much about sin. I don't think they need to realize that's that big of a deal. But then wait a minute, then what's the whole point of the cross? You realize that the cross was as bad as it was because our sin is that big of a deal. And if people just think nothing about sin, then why in the world are they believing in the cross? Why are they trusting in the death of Christ? If they don't believe that their sin is worthy of death, okay, then why would they believe Jesus had to die for them to go to heaven. So you understand how sometimes, you know, we can't, we can make these things so simple that people don't, they're not actually really believing in anything. That, that, that you know, and we've got to make sure people understand these things and you do need to recognize the truth about your sin. And that's why too, you know, there are some people that don't make a big enough deal about sin. And that's why you have some people too that come along and they talk, you know, they use bad terminology about repenting of sins. Like you, and what, what some people mean, I've talked to some of these people. It's like, you got to recognize there's something wrong with you. You got to recognize that you are a sin, that you are sinful and that you are deserving of hell. You got to get that figured out because a lot of people, they just don't believe they're bad enough to go to hell. You know, they have a belief in Christ and all that. But at the end of the day, they don't really believe they're bad enough to go to hell. Well, I, you know, okay, fine. I get what you're saying. I get, you know, you gave me the gospel. I get it that it's faith, not works. I, yeah, I see that the Bible says that. But in their hearts, they don't believe God would ever send them to hell. Folks, you've got to realize that God would send you to hell. You've got to understand that. 
Harlots don't have any trouble with that. Harlots will be the, some of the first ones to say, yeah, I deserve to go to hell. It's the religious people that struggle with that. It's these Pharisees who they do all these good, wonderful works. In their minds, there's no way that I would go to hell. And so we all need to have that mindset that and, and we, are, we need to understand in our heart that I am like that harlot. And that's why a lot of people, they do need that hard preaching on sin. They do need somebody to show them just how bad they really are from the Scriptures. Why? So they will repent of that sin, meaning they will actually finally recognize the fact that I do deserve to go to hell. My sin is bad enough to send me to hell. And you know what? I am going to trust in Jesus Christ. I am going to believe on Him. And that is, you know, I, I'm not recommending people use that terminology, but that is what a lot of people mean when they say that. Because I'm somebody too, when I hear somebody say that kind of thing, I don't just throw them in hell. I, I like to ask them. I always ask them. If I hear a preacher preach that, I'm not afraid to call people up and ask them before I throw them in hell. And uh, if, if, if they, you know, are in fact, you know, preaching, you got to quit sinning in order to go to heaven, then I'll, I'll throw them in hell with the rest of it. All right. But, and I mean that figuratively, obviously I don't have the ability to throw anyone in hell, but verse two, and it was told the king of Jericho saying, behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab saying, bring forth the men that are come to thee which are entered into thine house, for they come to search out all the country. So somebody had obviously spotted them uh, while they went into her house and they probably figured the only reason they're there is to spy out the land. Back then, you know, in cities and villages and things, it wasn't like it is today where you have people just coming through all the time. You know, and the cities back then, they had walls for a reason. Uh, and it was obviously because they were all racist since apparently walls are racist uh, in country, but it, uh, you know, back then uh, it was it was much more uncommon because you didn't have the cars and all that transportation. So when you see two strangers like that, you're going to get suspicious, and people realize they were spies. And so it says, and the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate when it was dark that the men went out with. Uh, Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan under the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. Now, I've had people bring this up about this passage before. And they'll ask questions like, was it morally okay for her to deceive her people? In this situation, because you have people too, and man, man, I, I, I've started a new policy too. When I just come across just exceptionally dumb people that don't go to my church on Facebook, I just unfollow them too, because some of the things that people say, and and unfortunately, some people are preaching some of this stuff too. Some of the questions, I just saw one today that just literally blew my mind. I don't want to even repeat the question, because, I, but I was like, just how dumb can some people be? I'm not, and, you know, and I'm not even going to say, you know, it's because they don't have the Holy Spirit. No. I would think anybody with the ability to read would be able to understand some biblical passages better than some so-called Baptist. 
It's like, are, are, you, are you really serious about that? And what they will do is they will take a phrase from the Bible, you know, and one about lying or something like that, and then they will just like declare Rahab the harlot terrible for what she did. Okay, now nobody did that, but basically they'll do the same type of thing. Okay? You know, was it morally okay for Rahab the harlot to lie in this situation? And you know what? I'm going to say, yes, it was okay for her to lie in this situation. In fact, Rahab the harlot is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And you know what it says in verse 31? By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believe not when she had received the spies with peace. You realize in order for her to do that, she had to lie. In order to do that, she had to deceive. And you know what? It was the right thing to do. Because these people were wicked. They were cursed. These men were good. They were right. And, th- and she helped do the work of the Lord here. This was a good thing for her to do. And you got to understand, you can't, you know, what, what, the reason we're not supposed to be lying, you know, is we're not supposed to be, you know, hurting other people. We're not supposed to be just doing things for our own advantage and taking advantage, you know, defrauding people, ripping people off. We're not supposed to do that kind of thing. But if you're trying to save somebody's life, then... Go ahead and do it. Okay? If 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 they're you know, if they come knocking on your door this week asking if you took the vaccine, I wouldn't get mad at you if you said you did. <laughs> okay? I mean I don't it's none of their business. Do we really want you know, do, do we have to tell people everything that they ask? No, we don't. Okay? And so don't get mad at me uh, for that, but again, these are just simple minded people. They'll just take a phrase somewhere and then they will just basically ask us all to do stupid stuff. And, uh, man, and I, I could I could start preaching a whole other messages with some of the dumb stuff I've seen this week. It's like, do you people not just know how to read? Like, like come on, you, use some common sense. And I sometimes think the Bible assumes we're going to have common sense, but not everybody does. Not ever does. So this was okay for her to do. This was good. It's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. That's a pretty high honor getting mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. We'll talk about that in a little bit, a little bit later. But verse 8 says, And before they were laid down, she came up uh, unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Now think about this. It's been 40 years since God did all those things in Egypt for them. So it seems to me, and I'm just, I'm just assuming this here, if they are fainting now, 40 years later, they were probably fainting 40 years ago, weren't they? But what, do we, what did we see in Numbers chapter 13 and 14? They were fainting because of them, weren't they? You know why? This is, this is amazing. Because Israel didn't believe God. You want to know why the people in Jericho were fainting? Because they did believe God. They actually believed God. They actually saw the miracles and things God did and recognized that He was God. Let's look at what it says. It says in verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what he did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt 
neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. Folks, they had more faith than Israel did. This is insane. This is what God wanted from Israel. They recognized, man, your God is God. And Rahab the harlot gets this. Rahab the harlot, but you know what? Rahab the harlot was not the only one that believed God. The whole place believed God. But here's the question. Why didn't they all get saved? Because the things that Rahab is mentioning, the people of Jericho all believe the same things. They believe the same things that the previous generation of Israel refused to believe and died in the wilderness for. Now, when God would get angry at Israel for not trusting him, he, God would often, too, bring up the very things that Rahab mentioned. The very things Rahab mentioned, God would bring those things up all the time. Like, you should believe me. Remember what I did? And yet, Rahab figured it out. But when God would tell them these things, when Moses would tell them these things, they wouldn't believe. This is just a reminder, too, of how hard-hearted the Jews are. It's another reminder just how bad they have always been. So, we have no doubt that Rahab was saved, but what about the rest of Jericho? Why didn't all of Jericho get saved if all of Jericho believed God? If all of them recognized that he was the true God, why didn't all of Jericho get saved? And you want to know why they didn't get saved? And this is something for these clowns that want to come along and oversimplify the gospel. They didn't ask. Okay? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You do have to call on the Lord. You do need to. And, and, and right there too, that calling on the Lord is what shows too, you recognize your dependence on Him. Unlike maybe the Catholic who believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and thinks they're just on their way to heaven because they're a good Catholic or whatever. No, that Catholic needs to understand they need salvation as a gift. That they are dependent on the mercy of God. They've got to understand that. They've got to recognize that they are not worthy. They've got to recognize that all their hocus pocus and all their things that they do as Catholics, none of those rituals are going to get them to heaven. They've got to recognize that. They must acknowledge that and they must call on the Lord for salvation. You have to do that. Look at what it says in verse 12. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness that ye all will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. Now, I don't believe she's getting saved right here. But again, this is a picture of salvation. And notice how Rahab, unlike the rest of Jericho, they all believe God. But what Rahab did that Jericho didn't do, Jericho never asked. You know what Jericho should have done when they heard about what happened? They should have sent somebody to Moses and said, we surrender. We, we're asking you to spare our city. We're asking you to spare our lives. We're dead meat. We get, we get it. We give up. That's what they should have done. And if they'd have done that, maybe they would have gotten saved. But you know what? They didn't ask. They didn't, they, they didn't do that where Rahab did. And she's, and then not only does she bring up herself, but she brings up her father's house, says that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we, uh, we will deal kindly and truly with thee. So thankfully, 
uh, Rahab did not obey the laws of her land. Thankfully, uh, Rahab did not honor the king of Jericho and she did not utter their business. She did not, she was not a spy for her own country. She wasn't a tattletale for her own wicked country. She hid the spies. And she's mentioned in Hebrews 11 because of it. Thank God this woman had faith and just some common sense. Thank God for that. If she'd have heard some preaching that we hear today, uh, she, she'd have gotten in trouble. And she would have ruined everything. But Rahab, but note, so Rahab, she asked, she asked to be spared. She, she's like, we're dead. Okay, we're dead. There's nothing you can do. Or there's nothing we can do to stop you. Folks, that's what we do when we get saved. We're saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. I'm on my way to hell. Will you spare me? Will you save me and not let me go to that place of torment? That's what we're doing. That's what a person does when they get saved. And so the rest of the city, they could have surrendered when they saw them coming, but they didn't. And I believe too, here's why I, here's why, why I believe they didn't. We'll probably talk more about this on uh, some of the later chapters. I do believe this was an extremely wicked city that was probably reprobate. Because notice how, uh, you'll, we'll notice this later, how uh, when they were going to destroy the city, God told them, don't take anything for yourselves. It's all accursed. Everything there, it's accursed. And everything, everyone is going to be destroyed except for Rahab and her family. And so, um, you know, these, again, these people, they didn't ask. And, you know, you do have to have uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in order to be saved. And somebody, uh, there are some people, again, you know, we believe the reprobate doctrine, they've crossed the line. And you know what? They're, they're not going to ask. They're not, they're not going to ask. Do you believe if a homo called on the Lord for salvation that they would get saved? Well, of course. I just don't believe they will. I believe if these people would have done like Rahab, I believe they would have got saved. But guess what? They didn't. You know why? Because these people were accursed. These were a bad group of people but thank god there was one harlot disrespected even in that city and yet she she was spared so verse 15 then she let them down by a cord through the window for her house was upon the town wall and she dwelt upon the wall and she said unto them get you to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned and afterward you may go your way so notice in uh, right there, she gives them instructions for how they can escape. You know, basically how they can deceive uh, her own people. And in James 2.25, notice it says, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Now here's what's interesting about this. You've got people who go to James 2 and try to use it. You have to have works to be saved. And they'll use Abraham, who did probably the greatest act of faith that there is. And then you have Rahab the harlot. I had somebody tell me this one time. Rahab, you had Abraham do the greatest act ever. And then you have Rahab the harlot, who did something as simple as putting a scarlet cord in the window. And so that proves you have to do some kind of work. Whether it be something great or whether it be something small. Well, here's the problem with that. Okay? We know for sure, because the Bible flat out tells us in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, 
that Abraham didn't get saved when he offered up Isaac on the altar. He offered, he got saved when God told him he was going to multiply his seed and he believed God. So we know that for a fact, that that is not when Abraham got saved. But it was when Abraham proved that he was a man of great faith and God used him as an example for those of us who have the faith of Abraham to walk in faith. We're supposed to be like Abraham. And as Christians, we're supposed to have faith like that too because it's possible that we don't. So uh, right there, that's a bad example too. But then... Notice too, Rahab the harlot, it wasn't when she just put that cord. It was when she sent them another way. You know what justified her to these guys? Because notice by the questions that they're asking her, they're, you know, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, they're wanting to make sure she's not deceiving them. They're wanting to make sure she's for real. And so after she does all these things, sends them out another way in a way where uh, the, they weren't going to be found, so they could actually get back to their people. You know what? That convinced these men that she is in fact on our side. So you know what else that this reminds us? If we actually go back and look at these stories, that James 2, it's about proving to other people that we have faith, not about getting saved. This is just, this is just more evidence of that if you just go back and look at the story that James referred to. Don't just look at a phrase, justify by works. That's what I was looking for. You know, Wait, what are we talking about? What was James talking about? What's the context of that? Let's go back and look at these stories. And let's find, let's find out what they say. So uh, right there, that just, you know, this is just more evidence we'll write about James too. So uh, Rahab proved to Israel. She justified herself to Israel that she was on their side when she helped those spies. So verse 17 says, And the men said unto her, we will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet line in the window. And folks, there is no doubt in my mind that that scarlet line, the scarlet thread is a picture of the blood of Christ. There's no doubt in my mind that because just like the blood on the doorpost and during the first Passover told the destroying angel to spare that house, the scarlet cord told the soldiers, spare this house. And you know what the blood of Christ does in our life? It tells God, spare us. Because we're helpless without it. We, we're helpless without these things. There's nothing that we can do. Without the blood, there is no salvation. And I don't know for sure who wrote Joshua. There's no way they knew about this. There's no way when they wrote this that they, they realized they're basically writing out the gospel for us. But the Holy Spirit 
that moved them to write these things, there's no doubt that he knew about it. God knew what was going on. God knew what he was doing. And so just uh, and so in Joshua chapter six and verse twenty five, it says, and Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And you know what's interesting too? Where y'all remember where Rahab lived? She lived in the wall. But the Bible says that the wall fell. And so obviously there was part of it that did too. I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing right there too. And when, you know, and that must have been something too for all of Rahab's family when after they left there and they just kind of looked back at that wall and they saw it all falling down except where she lived. Probably still had that scarlet cord hanging in the window. And then they probably remembered the words that she told them about that scarlet line. And folks, one of these days, we're going to stand before God we're, and we're going to see people cast into hell. And you know what? A part of us is going to be like, how did we not end up in there with them? But you know what? We're going to have something back that we can look back on. And you know what it's going to be? It's going to be the blood of Christ. That, that's what spared us. The, the blood of Christ. There's no doubt about it. And I just, I think this is an amazing thing, you know, and verse 22, folks, you're not going to get this kind of thing reading any other book in the world. You can't find anything like this reading somebody else's book. You know, we, you, man can't come up with things like this. I mean, I mean, just a thousand years before it even happened. What an amazing thing, you know, and, and that's why too, when I just listen to these people too. Uh, there's no proof that the Bible's real. There's no proof that the Bible's true. Are you serious? I think you need to read a little slower. I think you need to read a little farther than Genesis 1 where it gets to the herb-bearing seed and all you got out of it is God made marijuana. I think you need to keep reading a little bit and you'll be amazed by what you see. But verse 22, I gave two guys that I used to work with Bibles one time. We were talking about Bible and stuff at work and they, and they asked for Bibles and so I gave them both Bibles. And I gave them that day. The next day, come back to work. We're talking again. I was like, did you guys read those? And they're like, the guy's like, yeah. He's like, I was reading. I read that part. We're talking about the herb bearing seed. He's like, God made pot. And then the other guy was like, yeah, I noticed that same thing too. And that was all they wanted to talk about. And I was just, I was so disappointed. I was like, I told you guys to start reading in John. But, you know, they, they started in Genesis and that was all they got. But anyway, verse 22. And they went and came to the mountain. And abode there three days until the pursuers were returned and the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. Thanks to Rahab. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell him. And I love this. And they said unto Joshua, truly, the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. This is exactly what they should have said 40 years ago. This is exactly what they should have said 40 years ago when the people of Jericho were shaking in their boots, when they were fainting in the way, they should have said that. But no, they were too busy being scared. They were too busy not believing God. But yet, notice too though, again, these guys actually had faith because they're saying the exact same thing that Caleb said. 40 years ago when he went through there. 
They're saying the same thing. They're like, this is ours. We've got it. And sure enough, this time they did it right. They didn't have, uh, nobody's throwing a fit. And that is a, that's a wonderful thing. And you know what? By now, because I mentioned this last week. I mean, if I'd have been Joshua, I'd have my archers there ready to go. If a negative word starts to come out of their mouth, shoot them right there. And Joshua would have had the authority to do that back then too. You know, that's, that would have been fine. But you know what? Isn't it pretty sad with all these stories we have? I mean, we've got, we've got Joshua 2 and the gospel. We see what God did with the story while at the same time telling us the gospel. We should, be, we should have more faith than they did back then. We should have more faith than those two spies. And, you know, and, I, and obviously we're not going to shoot people for not having faith or anything like that. But boy, you know what? We sh- it, it's a pretty sad day. When us as New, Christ- New Testament Christians in the 21st century are doubting God for anything. But yeah, just look how, you know, remember what Jesus said, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? And sometimes I wonder if he will. We don't have faith to do anything. Just don't, don't trust God. I mean, most people today, they don't, have, they don't even have enough faith to believe that God's going to save somebody just because they believed on him and trusted him. Look how easy Rahab got saved. All she did was believe the words of God, and yet they, uh, I got to see some James 2 type evidence. I got to see somebody doing the works of Abraham and Rahab and things like that. Folks, that, what a sad thing that that is. You know, we wonder why we're in the mess we're in today. You know, people wonder why churches are dying. You know, you know why your church is dying? Because you don't believe God. You don't believe God, and you're remaining in the wilderness. You're going to have to keep lamenting about revival. Keep doing all your little things you do all the time to try to conjure up revival. You have your all-night prayer meetings and your month-long fast where you have everybody fast. And I'm not against doing those things, but these people just do it in a spirit of defeat. And they always and they never get what they ask for. Because at the end of the day, they just don't believe God and they won't be obedient and just go out and give somebody the gospel. It's really sad. But Rahab is a, such a wonderful picture of the grace of God She's a picture of salvation, and she is a reminder that salvation is for the sinful. Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners, and it is for those who ask for it. And you know, this is another wonderful thing, too, about Rahab. She is also a reminder that even if you have a horrible and a shameful past, that God can exalt you to great honor. I mean, think about it. She's in Hebrews chapter 11. That's big. Okay, all these people that we have in the Old Testament, she got mentioned in there. She got mentioned in James chapter 2. She's an example that they used about showing others that you have faith. Hey, remember Rahab the harlot? That's what, that's what James... And you know what? She's even mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5 in the lineage of Christ. Think about it. This woman gave birth to somebody, or she was in, in, an ancestor of Jesus Christ, of the Messiah. And in Matthew 1, 5, it says, And Salman, Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. You all know Boaz, don't you? In the book of Ruth, guess who his mom was? Rahab the harlot. That was his mom. So, and here, here's another amazing thing too. Even if you have a shameful past, 
you can start a new generation and a new legacy, one of honor. And Boaz is a name that everyone in the Jewish world to this day knows about. One of his descendants, King David, but most of all, Jesus Christ. That's who Rahab gave birth to, Boaz, who is in the line of Christ. And she is one of just a few mentioned women who are mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. Matthew, you know who all the women are that are mentioned in the line of Christ? It is Rahab the harlot. Uh, you have Tamar, who pretended to be a harlot and got pregnant by Judah. Another woman who did some pretty bad stuff. And you have Bathsheba, who had an adulterous relationship with David. Yet, through you know, God used these people. Why? Because that is just who God is. God can take somebody that has no respect, that nobody cares about, and He can save them and help them start a new legacy, one of honor. And I just I think that's a great thing. You know, getting saved, it's more than just escaping from hell, but it's also having a better life on this earth and having a better future. And you know what? That's why we need to continue doing the most loving thing a person can do and just go tell people how to get saved. Just go tell people about the gospel and what God can do in their life. God can, if God can even save a harlot, save anybody. Thank God for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful story, this wonderful uh, just picture of grace and salvation you've given us in your word, Lord. I just, I'm truly amazed uh, by it. I'm amazed by this book. Lord, this chapter is just uh, another uh, strong piece of evidence that this is, in fact, your word. And Lord, I pray you'll just uh, use it to increase our faith and help us to go out and continue telling the story to as many people as possible uh, so we can see more people saved, more lives changed. In your name we pray. Amen.